Well, this week we are starting our uh, two weeks where I've taken questions from you guys, got lots of questions. I appreciate all of them. Some of them are quite impressive and uh, really take more than one Sunday to address. They're more of a several month type study, which maybe we'll do. Um, this week, our question is this, how and when do you take your child's questions about salvation seriously? Um, as a quick teaser, next week we're going to be doing Easter. The following week, the last weekend of April, uh, the question I've decided I'm going to uh, answer was several questions in one, but essentially it's, how did we get our Bible is the Bible that we have trustworthy? How do we know it's trustworthy? This is such an important question to me. Uh, when I became a Christian in college, that was the first challenge I had to my faith. I had a professor who said, you can't trust the scriptures. They've been changed. They've been copied over and over and over. And I had no idea how to answer that. And not only that, it's a valid point. How can we trust those scriptures? So we're going to take time to address that the last week of April. I hope you start thinking about it now. Um, this question this week, however, I think is a perfect question for our church. We have so many little kids. Percentage-wise, it's probably almost half of our congregation. And so this is a two-part question as far as how it's worded to me. How and when do you take your child's questions about salvation seriously? Before we start trying to answer that, I want to unpack that question a little bit as far as what I think is kind of involved in that. And by the way, let me say this before we get into it. If you're here and you don't have little kids or you don't have children, this applies to you because you have influence over kids one way or the other. Whether you're a grandparent, whether you're an aunt, an uncle, um, whatever the case may be, whether you're just serving in the church, you have influence over children in your life. And so this is applicable to all of us. But unpacking this question, I don't know if you can read that. It's as big as I could get it, so I'll read it to you. Some of the ideas I think that are involved in that question are these. How do you as a parent discern when a profession of faith from your child is genuine or not genuine? Do we take a, a child's profession of faith at, at face value? Simply because they say they want to be baptized or they've, they've been saved, do you simply take that and run with it? Should we or should we not allow children to be baptized if they say they want to be? Another issue, if we don't allow a child to follow in baptism, are we then hindering them from obeying the Lord? And last of all there, I wrote, if we want to watch a child after their profession and wait on baptism until their profession is clear, then the question becomes this, when will that be? When does it become clear? When can we know that a child understands and means what he or she is professing and committing to? Those are some of the ideas I believe are wrapped up in that question. And I take that from personal experience. I have four young kids, as you guys know, and uh, my oldest two are already asking about baptism, about salvation. And so this is something I've talked to them about. But further complicating and adding to the questions I listed there is the unfortunate circumstance that I believe the church universal finds itself in as far as um, being largely ignorant or mistaught about what the nature of discipleship truly is. And here's what I mean by that. 
many people who come to faith in Christ, they come to faith and then their walk stops, when really it, that should be the beginning of it. And so if, if someone professes, if a child professes faith in the Lord, those people whose discipleship only consists of their salvation moment don't understand sometimes the problems involved. Now, that's not to say everyone um, is like that, but I do think that that's an influence on, on this issue as far as some of the, the discussion and controversies that can happen. But there are conditions that Jesus lays out uh, in discipleship that we're going to talk about today that, that we have to consider if we're going to try and answer this question faithfully. So much of the problem people have in understanding our present question is because they have a hard time understanding what exactly the nature of salvation and discipleship is. Um, so the, the large majority of this sermon is going to be answering the question, how do we take our child's profession of faith seriously? Then at the very end, I'll answer the question, when do we take it seriously? All right? So let's identify at least the motive that I believe for parents are, and it's good. I don't know of a Christian parent who isn't concerned about their child's salvation. Now, if you have kids, hopefully this is paramount on your heart and prayers for them, that they would come to know the Lord. So the motive, I, I, there's many scriptures that could have been chosen. I chose Proverbs 23. This is 15 and 16, and then 24 through 26. It says this, My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exalt when your lips speak what is right. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. There is present within parents one that desire to see your child walk with the Lord. Now, if that's not a desire of your heart and you're professing faith in Christ, then there's a serious problem that you need to address. This should be a priority because the children are given to you to train and teach in the Lord. That is your duty as a parent. So that should be our, our prayer from the moment they open the womb. But I think there's also a fear and a motive of fear that's not necessarily wrong, in parents, like I said just a minute ago, where we don't want to hinder our kids from coming to faith in the Lord or from following a profession of faith with obedience and baptism. But I want to speak also as a pastor, okay? And, and you know, maybe you'll follow us, maybe you won't. It should go without saying that you hopefully have a pastor and me and Bo and Dwayne who want the salvation of your children, who are laboring for that for your family. Um, we want to truly see the salvation of kids. Um, I think it glorifies God. That's why He came. And it's an incredible blessing, not only to the individual, but the family, but the church as well. But I will say this, so often pastors, um, just like parents, honestly, are too quick, in my opinion, to rush into and baptize a child. And here's, I'm going to reveal a motive, perhaps you haven't thought of, an angle you haven't thought of, is very often pastors have a, an underlying spiritual pride that's not been addressed in their life. 
And they feel as though if kids or, or people in general aren't coming and being saved and being baptized, then somehow my ministry is a failure. And so we'll rush to baptize children to justify ourselves. That's a terrible thing. It's a terrible motive on pastor's ends to just rush kids into it so that I can have a sense of justification. I am aware of that motive. Um, I'm aware of that trap, and I don't want to fall into it as a pastor. I want, with a clean conscience, to be able to say, yes, I see the work of the Lord in your child's heart, and I can, with a clear conscience, move forward in that. So to answer the how, um, I want to start by considering characteristics of children. These characteristics, these three that I've listed, are self-evident. Okay, Just last night, our kids, Natalie, who's about to be nine next week, all the way down to Madeline, who's about to be five, did a puppet show for us. It was cute, it was funny, but it was very, very immature. I didn't get upset at them because they're children. You expect that, okay? So these characteristics should be self-evident to us. But when it comes to an issue of a child's profession of faith, somehow we just kind of ignore all this and throw it out the window. But the Scripture doesn't. The Scripture puts these characteristics before us. So the first point there, a child's emotional immaturity. I've got the Scriptures listed there. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 4. Here's what God says to Israel. I will make boys or children their princes. And in the ESV it says, and infants shall rule over them. Now the word actually in the Hebrew for infants is capricious. Maybe you don't know what that is. Capricious means unpredictable and impulsive. Now the context of this passage, God's talking in judgment against Israel. He says in the previous verse that God is going to remove from Jerusalem the mighty men and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder. He's going to remove them and set up children and those who are impulsive infants to rule them. It's a judgment in the context. Why? Why do you not want infants who are capricious to rule over you? Should be obvious. They're impulsive. They don't make good decisions just by the very nature of being children. They're impulsive. They're fickle. What they love one day, they hate the next day. Matthew chapter 11, if you want to turn to that passage, Jesus uses the same idea with a different scripture as a judgment, pronouncement of judgment and rebuke against the Pharisees. In Matthew 11, verse 16, he says, But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and yet you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. What's Jesus saying here? He's pointing out the fickleness of the crowd. John didn't come eating and drinking and they say, oh, he's got a demon. Jesus comes eating and drinking and they say, oh, you're a glutton. They're flip-flopping on the issues. They play both sides. And what's, what's the comparison to? Children. That's how children are. Now, maybe not in a sinful way, but that's describing the nature of just how children are. They're fickle. They're emotional 
They're emotionally immature. And so we have to consider that. I think as parents, when the Lord sets parents up over children, part of the duty of a parent is to clearly help children work through emotional things. They just don't have life experience or maturity to do it. That's why you are there in that role. Also, Scripture highlights that children are easily deceived. The whole book of Proverbs, if you want to turn to Proverbs with me, was written for this very purpose. The entire book of Proverbs is a collection of sayings meant to teach the author's son wisdom. Why? Because they don't have it. And they're going to be growing up in a world where they need it. And so the constant exhortation of the book of Proverbs is, give ear to what I'm telling you. Give ear. Now, Proverbs 1, 1 through 1-4, let's read it together. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. You go on, and this is, I mean, that statement is repeated throughout Proverbs. So parents, your kids are prone to deceptions of any level. I heard one pastor say that he could pretty much convert any child under 10 years old. And he's not saying it, he didn't say it as boasting. He was saying it, pointing out, it is very easy to manipulate a child to say something and get what you want. And he felt he could do it to any child under 10. Now again, this is true, right? This is true. By na- we, we just know this about children. In Ephesians 4.14, the same point is made in the New Testament by Paul. If you want to turn to Ephesians, now again, this is topical study, so we're going to be jumping around to passages. I hope you're ready for it. We've covered, by now you should know Ephesians chapter 3 and 4 very well. This has been a pretty important passage in our church, our young church's history. Beginning in verse 11 though, this is God giving to the church. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to a knowledge of the Son of God, to what? Mature manhood. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers given to the church to bring the church to what? Maturity. It's the goal. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now verse 14. So that, here's the contrast, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Now granted, the context is not talking about salvation in children, but it is making the point, children are easily deceived. And it's a fit application illustration of the fact that we as a church need to mature and not be like children who are easily tossed by everything that's said. So children are easily deceived. It's just... A characteristic of children. But children are also intellectually immature. Go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
Paul writes in this great, wonderful chapter, expounding on what the nature of love is. In verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Again, contrasting the intellectual maturity in their speech, in their thinking, in their reasoning abilities, children just are not mature. It's a characteristic of children's. Again, it's not putting them down. That's just the fact. That's just the stage of life they're in. And then chapter 14, verse 20, Paul writes this, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. So the Bible clearly recognizes that generally children are contrasted from adults in their emotional state, in their reasoning abilities, in their speech, in their ability to detect lies and deceptions of any kind. So the kids, and this again, this is a basic point that I don't think really is something you'd argue against, but a, a child's worldview, their comprehensions, their perceptions of the way that the world is, it's just limited. It's okay. It's okay. It's not to insult them. It's simply the stage of life that they're in. So those are some of the characteristics of children. Again, I think self-evident, but Scripture also affirms it, which, which I think, as both a parent as a pastor, teaches us that we've got to be cautious knowing that this is how children are. Okay? What about salvation and discipleship? Well, here's just four statements that Jesus spoke about, about what a disciple is. And here, here's what we might struggle with as parents. What Jesus is talking about in these four examples are without a doubt adult themes. But Jesus, in the first two at least out of Luke there, actually says them emphatically. If you want to turn to Luke 14 with me so we can read it. And I want you to notice as we read this that, that Jesus does not make a distinction between a child and adult. He just says, whoever would be my disciple. When I read that, I, I have to interpret that as whether a child or an adult. If a child or an adult would be my disciple, here's what they've got to consider. Now verse uh, 25, great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I'm about to start this series on discipleship. This is going to be one of my passages. There's conditions very clearly in others elsewhere that Jesus sits down. If you, if you don't have a relationship such that it appears as though you actually hate parents, sisters, brothers, friends, then your devotion to Christ is not where it should be. Jesus isn't teaching us, by the way, to hate. That's not the point of this. Okay, But what He is saying is this, your devotion to Me must trump everything and everyone. 
Now that's, just honestly ask yourself, can a child understand what that kind of commitment really is? Maybe, yeah. I'm not going to say no, but Jesus doesn't make any bones about it. He cannot be my disciple. Okay? He says, hating your own life, carrying your own cross, even. He who does not bear his own cross. I mean, what does a child grasp that? Potentially he can. I'm not going to say he doesn't or can't. But it's without a doubt a very deep adult theme. Some of the other ones there, being a soldier at war, Paul uses that imagery very often as far as what a disciple of Christ actually is involved in. It's warfare. There's lots of passages you could pick. What does a child in his limited worldview understand about warfare and the nature of it? Again, not that a child can't. I'm not going to say that. But it's an adult theme. Marriage. This is probably the, the most blatant of all the examples. Marriage to Christ is... Uh, let's go to that passage in 2 Corinthians and look at that. Our relationship to the Lord is compared to a marriage. Now, obviously I don't know that a child really understands the intimacy of marriage and all that's involved in that. 2 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2. Paul writes this, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Again, those are themes that just children, just by life experience alone, I think would have a difficult time understanding the commitment involved that a marriage entails. But that's the terms that we see in Scripture. I could have read out of Revelation chapter 19, where when Christ returns, it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? We are the bride of Christ. So again, these are not unfamiliar themes to you. But the way that Jesus draws the lines of discipleship are very clearly in adult concepts and terms. It's not to say that a child cannot grasp them, but it would again be very naive of a parent, I think, I speak as a parent, to simply accept a child's profession that he does understand them. Let me go to the next slide. So, hopefully it's your practice as, your, as a parent if you have children, Hopefully it's your practice as a Sunday school teacher, if you're teaching children, to be putting Christ, the gospel, before even our infant kids. Hopefully they grow up very clearly hearing and knowing the gospel message. And hopefully a child is able, from memory, to repeat that. But if you've had kids, you've, you've recognized this in your own children, no doubt. Kids can repeat what you tell them, almost verbatim. But you know as a parent, they have no idea what it means. Right? Now, if a child simply repeats what you've been teaching them, and you don't test whether they truly understand that or not, would you say that's smart or not? I don't think it's wise. I think it's naive to think that simply because a child can repeat back to you something, um, that, that you just take that at face value. 
So what do we do? I want to articulate this clearly. I don't believe, and I don't teach, that children cannot be saved. I think a child can come to faith. I do. I think it's possible that a children can grasp these, even if on the most simple level, and have genuine saving faith. I don't doubt that. Um, but I also don't go to the extreme that I just accept every profession of faith at face value. So what do we do? We need to understand that this time in a child's life, when they're under your authority, is a time of preparation for them. That is the chief duty of a parent, is to prepare them, not only for the world, but for the spiritual realities entailed in walking with the Lord. The first and most important thing that you can do as a parent to prepare our children is to teach them that they are an individual who is under authority. Now I'll say this, if a child does not grasp the fact that parents are an authority they are to respect and obey, they can never walk with Christ. And I say that without apology. If they don't grasp this idea of authority, they cannot grasp the authority of God, the Lordship of Christ. Part of the salvific profession of the church in Romans 10 is that we profess Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord means one who has all authority over you. When you profess faith in Christ, do you know what you're professing? You're professing that Jesus has authority over every area of your life. Now, if a child cannot understand that their first and immediate authority is their parents, how can they understand the authority of God? If you can answer that for me, then I'd love it. But I, I just don't think they can. I don't, I don't think it's possible to walk with God if you don't understand authority. As an example, Matthew chapter 8, verse 5-11. through 11. I preached on this um, in several places before we start a waypoint. There's two times in the New Testament that Jesus marvels. One was at the example of faith, and the other time he marveled was at the lack of faith. And Matthew 8 is the example of faith from the Roman centurion when, when he, the centurion asked Jesus, will you heal my servant? Jesus says, sure, I'll, I'll head that way. And, and he says, no, you don't have to come. Just say the word. But then what's revealed is what's most important. The centurion says this, I too am a man who's under authority. I know how authority works. I tell my soldiers under me, do this, and they do it. I believe, Jesus, you have all authority so that all you have to say is the word. And Jesus stopped and marveled. Do you get the importance of that? The one time Jesus marveled positively was when this man understood what authority was. The most important thing you can do right now is to prepare your children recognizing you are their authority. Let's read some key passages to show this and then contrast this with, with what I mean, okay? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul writes this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now what's the promise? Verse 3. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. 
That's, that's a powerful statement. It's the first commandment given to men that holds a promise to it. If a, if a child honors, grasps that they are to obey, they recognize the authority of their parents in their life, and they honor that authority by obeying, it will go well with them. Proverbs is full of this. The Scriptures are full of it, quite frankly. So there's the promise. You want it to go well with your children? Parents, establish your authority in the home. Don't let your children do whatever they want. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, the Scripture says. When you let your child simply do what he wants, they don't have the intellectual, emotional capabilities to make good decisions. That's why you're the parent. So you fill that role for them. Why? Because there's a great promise attached to it. Colossians, go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything. Why? Because that pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord when a child understands, I need to obey mom and dad. Why? Because they're my authority. They're my authority. Proverbs 22, 6 Train up a child in the way he should go. And what? When he's old, he will not depart from it. There's so much promise in the Scriptures for a parent who works week in and week out to establish that child of yours is under your authority. And work to labor to establish your authority in their life. To speak into issues in their life. Situations they're facing. Whatever it may be. That is the most important thing you can do for your children right now. And that is the greatest work of preparation you can do for your child so that they would be in a place to receive the gospel. Now I want to contrast this with what characterizes a lost child. Okay, um, Go to Romans, first of all. We'll start in Romans. And I want you to see this, because perhaps it, it might shock you. I don't know if it will. Context of Romans 1, 18 through the end of the chapter is, is not a good context. It's talking about people who see fit to worship the creation rather than the Creator. And God's response to that is that He gives people over to deception. And they get worse and worse and worse and worse in a society. Now what we're going to read in, in 28 through 32 is, is the whole context. God, Paul doesn't simply highlight children. He highlights everybody. But kids are not accepted from it. Verse 28, Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. Now, this is not a good list, right? I mean, you usually think of adult people here. Verse 30, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Now how many of you parents put your child's disobedience next to murder, gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty? How many of you equate disobedient kids to that? And my point is this, God does. If your children do not learn obedience to you as their parent, how in the world will they ever obey the Lord when the Lord's first command to that child is to obey your parent? 
They're breaking the very first thing they ought to do. You understand the implications of that, I hope. I mean, it's heavy, but if your child does not learn your authority in the home and obedience to you, they will not walk with Christ. They cannot walk with Christ. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is speaking here in context in 2 Timothy 3 of how people will be in the end times. Now, I believe we are in the end of days. You read this list in 2 Timothy 3 and it, man, you just go, yep, yeah, that's us. Verse 1 of 2 Timothy Timothy 3, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, there we go again, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, and so on. One of the things that characterizes children in the end of days They have a complete disregard for the authority of their parents in their life, and they do whatever they want. Nowhere is that spoken of in a positive light in Scripture. So, with all that said, what are signs of genuine faith? Because as I said earlier, I don't teach and I don't believe that kids can't be saved. I don't think that. I think they can. But I do think this, it would take a pretty special kid to be able to grasp some of of these deeper commitments of what discipleship and following Christ entails. Is that clear? I don't know if I can say that any different. So what are signs of genuine faith? Here's some signs that I think are are pretty basic in Scripture of of someone who truly has a, a, a relationship, knows the Lord, walks with the Lord in faith. Here's just four things that, that we can look at. So first, has your child put their trust in Christ alone for salvation? Now I have there in that first paragraph a disclaimer. I want to make sure that we distinguish these four things are not perfectly matured nor perfectly visible in every adult believer. So I'm not saying that, man, your child, if they're truly a believer, are just going to have this robust profession of faith and outstanding love and devotion. No, it might be small, but real. Right? Jesus said that of faith. If you have this faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So it's not the quantity of it, it's the quality that you're after. That's, that's what we're after here. Okay. So sound profession of faith in the Lord. Does your child have that? I quoted out of Romans 10, 9 and 10 earlier. But those are some of the basic things. You've got to, to at least know some of the core truths of the gospel. And while simple knowledge of it doesn't necessarily mean it's saving faith, at the same time, if you don't know these things, there is no saving faith. Does that make sense? So while these things are necessary, just, just a knowledge, a sound profession of, of truth in the Lord is, is necessary. The knowledge is not sufficient enough. It's believing true, genuine faith in that. Um, Romans 9 and 10, he who, who confesses that uh, Jesus is Lord and believes that God raised him from the dead will be saved. 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to turn to that one with me real quick. 
And this, by the way, I'm going to quote out of our statement of faith here in a little bit. Um, in our opening of the statement of faith, I'd encourage everyone to, uh, to read it. Okay. In the opening of our statement of faith, we have a, a section there, what is required for salvation. It's this. It's this passage, okay? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. So a child must know and understand the aspect of sin. Why did Christ die? For my sin. If a child has no concept of his own sinnership, there can't be salvation. I mean, that's what the gospel is about. He died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And so you've got to unpack what the resurrection, what the crucifixion is for for these kids. That's the heart of the Gospel. That's what you've got to believe to be saved. Does your child manifest genuine love for Christ? Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And His response to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 16.22. You can turn there. He closes his letter. 1 Corinthians 16.21 says this, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. If there's not a love for Christ in your kid's heart, guess what awaits? A curse. So how do we know if anyone loves the Lord? What, how can we tell? Especially in our kids. I mean, that's hard to discern. But I'll say this. Wednesdays are usually days that I'm gone from the house all day long. And I don't get back till after four. I, I leave early and I get back late on those days. And do you know almost without fail what my kids do when I open the door? They come running, hugging, Daddy! And I love it. But what is that an expression of in their childlike way? Their love for me. So yes, a kid can express love. And it's the same in adults. When a, when a kid or an adult loves someone, guess what they do? They seek to go with them, to be with them, to come to them. In fact, salvation is said of those, those, uh, said in those terms, okay? Um, salvation is said in the, the sense of coming to God. So does your child, ask yourself this, does your child long for God's presence as, as they would long for yours? Is, is God real in the same sense to them? Do they long for, to be with God, even in a childlike way? Right? Jesus said, don't hinder the kids from coming to me. That's what he's after. Don't stop them. <laughs> but I'll, I'll say this, and this is true of kids and adults. When you want to be with somebody, you seek them out. Do you not? Yes. So does your kid seek to pray? Or are they forced to pray? Do they seek to know God in His Word? Or are they forced to it? Same way with adults. Do you pray? Do you seek God in His Word? I mean, those are just basic things of love, right? When you love God, you want to be with Him. You want to know Him. You want to follow Him. If those things aren't manifesting in your life, then we need to talk about your relationship with God. 
just like we would in a, a kid's. They want, just as they want to be with you as their parent, that will manifest itself if they know the Lord as well, if they have genuine faith. Third question there, does your child, deter, uh, does your child show determination to follow Christ? There's a German Anabaptist preacher in the 1600s. Now, he's got quite the name. Balthasar Hupmeyer, which we may name our next child that. I kind of like it. I didn't tell you that, sorry. I, I really like what he taught, though. He and, and the elders of his church refused to set an age limit as far as when they would baptize a kid, which is our position here. But here's what they would do to test their obedience. They would watch the child so that when that child self-consciously was feeling the tug and the draw of the world and refused it, the child's deciding in their heart, I will follow the Lord instead. What did, what did Joshua say? Choose this day whom you will serve. Right? When a child is, is able to, to recognize, man, there's an appeal to the world, but I'm consciously and willingly choosing the Lord. Boom. What a great sign. Right? That's, when they'd see that in a child, then they'd baptize them. Now, again, there's no age limit put on that. If, that. if they see that commitment at seven, they're ready. If it's not till 18, okay. I think that's just wise, wise approach. So obedience is what we're after, right? Just as a child is to obey their parents, so we are to obey the Lord. Paul was commissioned as an apostle, he said, to bring about the obedience of faith. You look for obedience, a determination to follow and obey Christ. Last of all, is your child conscious of confessing and turning from sin? Even if imperfectly, right? We all do this imperfectly. But really what this is after is confession and repentance. I want to give you an example. Turn to Luke. Gospel of Luke chapter 3. And again, this is, um, here's at least pretext for holding off on baptism when you don't see repentance or confession. This is John the Baptist refusing to baptize some people because they didn't have or show fruit of repentance in their life. Okay, um, This is Luke chapter 3. In verse 7, he said, Therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath, of, wrath to come? Now wait, did you catch what was said there? <laughs> they came out to be baptized. And what's he say? Uh-uh. You brood of vipers. But then what's he tell them? Verse 8. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. When someone has repented, first again, I'll teach this over and over, repentance means a change of mind. And the manifestation of that change of mind is seen in their actions. When a child has confessed and repented of sin, you know what happens the next time they're tempted to steal that cookie? Uh, nope. There's repentance. Even on a small level, you can see this in your kids. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This is probably one of the most important things we as parents can take note of. There will be manifest fruit when a child has repented in their heart and mind. There will be. Just like there was with you when you came to faith. There's a change that happens. 
And if there is no change, you got to ask yourself, as Paul did the Corinthian church, are you united to the Lord? Does the Lord live in you? So it's a fair question to ask kids. Preparing a child for the step of baptism, say they are showing these signs of faith. Here's some things as a parent that you can do to help your child. Help them formulate their own testimony and profession. They need to be able to say it. I loved at, at our previous church when we, we made the switch to start having people give their testimony. And not in this sense. Little Johnny, for instance, might come in with their father to, to see the pastor. And the father says, Johnny, did you accept Jesus as Savior and Lord? Uh-huh. Do you love Him? Uh-huh. That's not a profession of faith. I'm sorry. <laughs> that child needs to communicate what the Lord has done for him personally. Even if it's on a childish level, it's real. They need to speak it. Help them formulate their own testimony. Second, teach them about what baptism is. Now, I'm going to read it from our statement of faith here next. Baptism is the first step of a disciple. So is this contradictory what I'm telling you to do as a parent? I don't believe so, and here's why. There's good reason in Scripture and from experience to watch and wait your children. Secondly, you are their authority, and that decision of a child needs to be made with you, not simply apart from you. Okay? with your help and guidance. A child who obeys and submits to their parents' authority to wait is pleasing the Lord, we read. It's no way, I think, a hindrance. Now, if the child is showing signs of genuine faith and does manifest they are joined to Christ and you continue to hinder, yes, I think that's a problem. But until the signs of faith come and you wait, I don't think so. So teach them about baptism. It's connected to repentance in Matthew 3, as we read, or Luke 3. It's good and right to be eager to be baptized, right? You should desire this. Man, I was lost and now I've saved. I want to be identified with the Lord. Acts 8 shows that. Romans 6 highlights the spiritual realities that water baptism is depicting. I mean, there's so many great things about baptism. So teach them about it when you start seeing the fruit of faith in them. For our third, teach them about being part one of the universal body of Christ and secondly, the local church. Now here's one thing I think we're deficient in. You have duties to the body. That's part of discipleship. It's not just come and go as you please. Like You need to serve. God has given you gifts. Why? To serve and equip others. So if you're not plugging in somehow, you're not being a disciple. You've got to teach kids. They've got to understand, hey, if you are genuinely saved, guess what? God's given you gifts and you need to use them. Teach them about their duties and what being part of a church means. We take that point far too lightly in my opinion. Fourth, teach them about being a witness, evangelizing. Sadly, I think we take that point even less than church membership. But being a witness for Christ is not optional. Just because you can't speak, hey, Moses couldn't speak, and guess what? God said, go! Speak! You need to share your faith. And when kids come to Christ, you need to encourage them, hey, share your faith early. Get used to that practice. Here's from our statement of faith, and I'll, I'll end with these. Okay, Here's, here's what we wrote, and, and by the way, this was one of two points in our statement of faith that we did rework because we, we wanted to say this rightly. 
So that might be too small for you, so I'm going to read this whole one and then the ones to follow, just parts of them. So the ordinance of baptism, directly from our statement of faith, we believe that baptism is a sign and testimony of a person's saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We believe that every Christian should, out of obedience to the Word of God, and as public identification with Jesus Christ, as well as an appeal to the church to be received in Christian fellowship, be baptized. We at Waypoint will never hinder or delay someone's obedience in baptism. However, children who become Christians must be able to give testimony with understanding of salvation and the significance of that sacrament of baptism before proceeding with baptism itself. We require no more or less of children than we would of an adult in this situation. Okay? I think that's well said. I don't want to hinder a child, but I do, I will require of a child what I would require of an adult. And until they can meet that, as far as what I think the scripture teaches, I'll wait. What do we teach about the condition of man? Now, this kind of all will tie into baptism, okay? And I'm just going to read the underlined parts here that you can see. One, the condition of man. These effects of sins have been transmitted to the entire human race. Jesus Christ accepted. And thus, every person born into the world is alienated from a life with God and is incapable of remedying his lost and depraved condition, except with the aid of divine grace. So that would include our children. Our children, in other words, need salvation, just like you do, just like I do. They need God's grace. The means of salvation, um, again, I'm just reading the, the underlined parts here. Salvation is freely bestowed on all who put their faith in Christ and trust in the work which He accomplished on the cross. So just as for your child, salvation is free. It's a gift. But they got to understand what it means. It's not without understanding. We teach the church. Now here, say your child, hey, they recognize I need salvation, and they come to faith uh, through the work of Christ. Now what's next for your child? Well, what we teach about the church, we believe that all who have placed their faith in Christ are united by the Holy Spirit into one spiritual body, the church. That's what I mean, the universal church, what I was speaking of earlier. They're united to the body of Christ. What about the local church? Well, the members of this one spiritual body are directed to associate themselves together in local assemblies for instruction, worship, prayer, fellowship, service, for the administration of the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and they are likewise to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All scripturally based there. I don't think we have a question with that, but again, a child, a seven-year-old, say, who wants to be baptized, they manifest genuine faith, they've got to understand they're not just going to be pew sitters. That child, now if they're a member of Christ, universally, needs to start exercising, even in the smallest of ways, service to the local body as well. We would require no less or more. What about our life in Christ? Well, the reality of anyone's profession of faith in Christ is demonstrated by subjecting their fleshly nature and desires to the power of the Holy Spirit and by doing the good works for which He has been saved, especially by demonstrating a Christ-like love toward one another. Again, this ties in. What about discipleship? What would we expect of a child the same as we'd expect of you? Well, the goal of discipleship is to produce mature Christians. We read that in Ephesians 4. 
who are then able to replicate, transfer, and multiply their faith and maturity toward other believers. Again, I agree. A seven-year-old, for instance, might have limited opportunity to replicate and transfer their faith. But you know what? They can talk about Christ to their peers in a real saving way. They can share the gospel with them. And in their own little sphere of influence, they can do things that are appropriate to them. The last line there, all the members and gifts of the body are needed to accomplish biblical discipleship. Every member, again, this is out of our statement of faith, we believe that every member of a church is a missionary. We believe that every member of Christ's church is to be one who is engaged in living out and doing Jesus' ministry. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, that, God, that Christ is in the church making His appeal to the world to be reconciled. The body of Christ is to be the hands, feet, mouthpiece of our Lord appealing the world to come be reconciled to God. A child would have no difference than an adult, maybe in degree of influence or ability or opportunity, but that's it, not in function. So to summarize, this is the last slide. This week's question, how do you take your child's questions about salvation seriously? Hopefully I answer now. There's a lot more information I could have put in there, but I've tried to endeavor on how to take your child's questions about salvation seriously. So when do you do it? Well, the easy answer is now. The minute they open the womb, you take salvation seriously. That should be your priority for them. Your children, according to that Proverbs uh, 23 and 20, uh, 23, verse 22 and 26, your children should see and hear the gospel now. The author of the, that passage says this, listen to my words and watch my ways. Very simple. But that's what should be happening now. Okay? And you take it serious until they come to faith. I don't I don't think that's a difficult one. All right. I want to say this. Uh, parents, the childhood is, pri- is is the primary time for your child to be prepared for the gospel. They are entrusted to you for this season. Recognize the importance, recognize the limited time you have with them to prepare them for this. That's your role as a, as a parent. Let them see in you the joy of serving the Lord the benefits of faith in Christ. You should never hold back praying with them, reading Scripture with them, even expressing desire for their salvation with them present. Speak the Gospel to them and put before them its claims on their life. But understand this too. Be patient during this season. Don't rush into judgment. Don't rush into conclusions. Seek the guidance and wisdom of the Holy Spirit over your child. And pray that the Holy Spirit would do a deep, lasting, convicting work in the heart of your children. So that when they come to faith, man, it's evident. And they, they, are, they have been prepared, the ground's been made ready for them to flourish. We've got several farmers in our, our audience here. There is so much time involved in preparing the soil simply to receive the seed. And then cultivating and cultivating and culti- cultivating before harvest. It's such a beautiful picture of of training your child. I'll plug it this way. This summer, we're planning on doing a a very important study 
on shepherding your child's heart. So if you're available and desirous of that, please be a part of that study. Uh, this is the area of our church I think the Lord is really blessed with so many little kids. Um, and so we want to be faithful to equip parents um, on how to shepherd your children for this very purpose that we've discussed tonight, or this morning rather, okay? So with that, keep in mind, two weeks from now, we're going to talk about how can we trust our scriptures? Can we trust them? What an important issue. All right? I'll invite the worship team up if you would pray with me. Father God, we just uh, we want to stop and thank you. We're told in your word that, that children are a blessing from the Lord. They are a heritage. And we can say heartily, Amen to that, Father. We love our little children. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom on how to approach this difficult topic. I understand that there's varying opinions on this. And I've endeavored, Lord, um, in my own home, as well as in the ministry of this church, to understand this issue. And um, I just pray for wisdom, for circumspection, for parents in this church, Lord, over their children. You give them discernment into their child's life. Father, and how to address issues of their heart, questions concerning faith. Father, we patiently bear with them in their failures, Lord, teaching them what repentance is, showing them what repentance is. Father, showing them what love for the Lord looks like, entails. Showing them what love for the body of Christ, Lord, serving one another, entails. Father, in our prayer is that you would reap a great harvest amongst our kids. That you would, would raise up a generation of children who not only walk with you, but are zealous for you. You seek such disciples who when, when it's compared to all other relationships in their life, it actually appears as though they would hate their other relationships if it interfered with their relationship with you. That's what we want for our children because that's what you say. Father, equip us in the power of Christ, in the wisdom of Christ, in the love of Christ to meet this great obligation to be a parent. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.